Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the uh, Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show, our international friendly post-game show as the United States went across the Atlantic to take on the Welsh at Swansea's Liberty Stadium, and it comes out a nil-nil draw. I'm joined by World Soccer Talk's Kardik Krishnayer and Kardik. Um, I mean, let's be honest about this match. It would have been nice for them to put in a goal or two, obviously, but... You know, this is a match where goals are not the story. Uh, you have to say the story of this international friendly. The First of all, welcome back international soccer for the U.S. men's national team. This is a story, Cardick, where you want to see these young players, these young kids finally getting their opportunity to show not only what they're made of, but what they can do when they are considered the next generation for the program. And so far, I know it's only Wales, but I'd like to think they pass with flying colors here. Yeah, Daniel. Um, uh, good evening, everybody. I, I think Wales on their day are a very good team, obviously. They, they were semifinalists at the Euros in 2016. They qualified directly for the Euros. They're not going through the agonizing playoffs that we see Scotland and Serbia and contesting now Northern Ireland and, uh, and Slovakia also as we're on the air now, uh, both those matches and extra time. So Wales, direct qualifiers for the Euros. Um, but obviously without Gareth Bale, without Joe Allen, without Aaron Ramsey, uh, Aaron Ramsey, who I believe was not even released uh, by Juventus, maybe some COVID concerns there. But uh, so, so you're playing kind of a watered-down Wales squad. And, you know, saw um, Roberts come on late, saw a couple of their more experienced players come on late. But still a very, very – good showing against a, a team that has a, a lot of talent. Oh, and, oh, I should also mention, most notably, Ryan Giggs. Um, there's some uh, allegations against him right now. He was not present at the match, so his assistant took, took control. But some, some very positive signs from the young U.S. players. I think uh, there were some very, very good performances uh, in this match from young American players. I also think there were some um, performances that, that I think you would like to see, some guys you would like to see a little more out of, or maybe um, some guys that perhaps um, perhaps need to be chased out of this national team in time. So, um, yeah, a, a, a lot to take from it, and I, and I think that um, Greg Berhalter will be happy with the, the ability to play the kind of football he wants to play, playing out of the back, playing with uh, – with some width uh, and, and some uh, really interesting movement uh, that we can get into tactically, uh, which, which is kind of the Burhalter style, setting up in a 4-3-3, the Ajax way, if you will, the Dutch way, and, uh, and, and playing that way uh, for much of this match. I agree. Um, to see these group of players coming out and just doing a job, just doing a job in this one, um, you really have to feel good. And I agree with you, Cardick. Some of the big boys for Wales were not there, but you know what? 
Still, though, a very strong side. And, you know, the way that they controlled the play, the way they brought up the ball, um, obviously at times the final third, they didn't look good. Uh, some of the passing wasn't good, but the final third, they had some opportunities. And uh, unfortunately, they overshot it, the ball, uh, or they went wide, or the goalkeeper was right there uh, for Wales. But once again, you have to show and, and you have to see young players like this, that averaged age was 22.5. That was the average age of this roster. Uh, and when you see them playing competent, when you're seeing them playing strong and bringing up the ball and preventing Wales, I mean, let's be honest, 95% of this match, it was all USA. I thought they were absolutely brilliant in this one on controlling the ball, controlling the play. Yes, they've made some mistakes individually, but that's to be expected. Still, though, when you can overcome the issues that you're going to have in your very first international game for the majority of this roster, you really cannot argue with the facts that these guys, these kids, actually came to play and some nervous moments, but still... They did well. Yeah, I think the the, the, uh, the younger, less experienced players did really well. Um, I think there was uh, two really shaky performances. Uh, I would say Matt Miazga was was borderline terrible, uh, in my opinion. And, oh yeah, uh, Anthony no, Robinson. I agree, with you. I agree who I, with you. Yeah, and Anthony Robinson, who I, I've really liked this season at Fulham, was shaky. Um, and, and he's played well. He's been playing well in the Premier League on a team that hasn't been playing very well. So um, that was a little surprising to see me. And the last time he played for the United States, he played as a, a wing back. Remember, Verhalter played a 3-5-2 in that match, mm-hmm. Seth Friendly, against Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And he got torn apart. Now, of course, he was more oh, yeah. Leon Bailey, which, which is not something that's a fun thing to do. <laughs> you know, Leon Bailey, one of the top players <laughs> in Congress But still, Jamaica skinned us in that match. So Verhalter had lost faith in him and had seen him play well of late uh, in the Premier League and called him back in. Uh, look, I think John Brooks is the key because um, when he is fit, he has a range of passing um, and, and an understanding and a calmness on the ball that uh, you could argue no U.S. defender, U.S. central defender in our history has had. Now, we've had some great central defenders, Shello Balboa, Eddie Pope, Gooch, uh, Boca. Negro, when he played center back, often he played left back. But we've had some really amazing center backs in our history. Um, but to be honest with you, I've never seen an American player have the range of passing, the calmness on the ball. He doesn't just flail and clear it. He, he, he passes with intent. He can take a touch or two. Uh, really a ball playing center half. And in Verhalter's system, having that guy is so critical. And we saw that today. So he's able to link up with Tyler Adams playing uh, in, 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 in the in the six. In, and um, that goes back to something you've talked about, Daniel. Maybe, maybe you can elaborate on this a little bit because you've seen Tyler Adams since he was mm-hmm. very young. Um, that seems to be his best position. You saw kind of how the U.S. operates with him there today. Well, you know, seeing him playing that position at the New York Red Bulls, uh, he's just a perfect box-to-box midfielder when he is not only attacking, but he's defending his runbacks. Defending runbacks has been uh, spot on. He has, you know, obviously, unfortunately, at Leipzig, he started off over there being hurt and pulled muscles and just tons of injuries. Uh, but finally, he's coming back into what 
We've seen him at New York Red Bulls. What Red Bull Leipzig is now, uh, you know, enjoying the fruits of their labor. I have seen, you know, Tyler Adams defending and dominating matches just by himself sometimes because not because you expect him to score goals. You expect him to just play as a supporting role. You know, this is what, you know, you're hoping for someone like him to come into your club and just playing, you know, on top of the ball, continuous pressure, 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 pressure. He plays in the press system. It fits his style. It fits his narrative on how he wants to be on the pitch. And when he does go forward, he's able to convert his chances. Um, We saw what he did uh, not only in the CONCACAF Champions League back in 2018 in the second leg of the quarterfinals against Club Tijuana, uh, where he was able to get that third aggregate goal uh, for the Red Bulls to uh, hold on to that, regain the two-goal lead, but what he did in the UEFA Champions League last edition, just so they can finish it up, uh, when you know defeating Atletico Madrid. Yeah, the ball got deflected, but still, though, if you don't take the shot, you don't get credit uh, for the goal. So, you know, this is what we're missing you know, in the midfield. And let me just say this. Let me just say this. As much as I like Michael Bradley, as much as I know you're going to need Michael Bradley moving forward um, in these World Cup qualifiers, the CONCACAF Gold Cup, uh, the the CONCACAF Nations League semis, uh, you know, to win these titles, and, of course, qualifying for the World Cup in Qatar – the truth is, is this, is that you got a guy in Michael Bradley who wants to bring up the ball in a deep midfield position while those days are gone. Because Michael Bradley is not that type of player. I know what he likes to do, but do you need him for that type of ability? No, you do not. You cannot sacrifice a guy like Tyler Adams Kardec where you're going to force him to become a, uh, a hybrid uh, right fullback when that's not his position. Yeah, right and I don't back. think he's going to – I good. mean, obviously, obviously, when he scored yeah. that goal uh, against uh, Atletico Madrid, he was playing right back. But um, I think the right back situation is such that when you have Gats now and you have Reggie Cannon there um, and potentially DeAndre Yedlin, if you were to uh, um, reemerge in this picture, you don't need to play Adams here. Look, I, I, I wanted to mention how um, interesting Sergio Guest's movement was today. Now, of course, Guest – Oh, having come out of the Ajax system um, he, he, and now playing for Barcelona, playing for Ronald, Ronald Koeman at Barcelona, is a player that would understand Berhalter's tactical principles probably better than anyone in this player pool. And we saw it today because what Desi did when the U.S. was in possession, either tucked into the midfield and, and served as kind of a, a, a almost a, a six or an eight type playmaker, or, you know, he made – Deep runs, um, deep runs uh, uh, on, on the right side, allowing the right-sided attacking player who, um, you know, would, would alternate with uh, Conrad at times, Mose at times, uh, to, 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 to take the outside position and just to make the kind of direct run, diagonal run. So um, I think Guest, uh, we, we can't underestimate what he means in this in this national team, not just because he plays for Barcelona, but because I think he probably has a deeper understanding of what Berhalter wants um, from this team, uh, from a playing style than any other player in this player pool. That's why we saw the movement we saw from him today and and kind of the performance we saw from him, because I think he is ahead um, 
of the curve with that. And as these guys get more time together, more time on the training pitch with Greg Berhalter, they'll have a similar understanding of the system that Guest has uh, already currently. Because Berhalter, it's not a unique system. He, he's effectively taking um, what he's learned in the Netherlands and uh, what, what has been developed in that country and, and has been exported to places like Barcelona and imparting that in the U.S. with a couple of tweaks. So, um, again, Guest would be further ahead. Uh, than the other guys who haven't necessarily played for club teams or national teams that, that, that have that sort of style. No, I agree with you. I mean, that's, I think out of all the players we saw, and we, we're, we're positive on you know the majority of the players, as we said, John Brooks, finally healthy, finally able to go out and be the center back we all know he can be, and Dest being comfortable in the game plan, not only because he's been with Ajax, uh, Kuman is with Barcelona, and um, Burhalter's tactics are just basically similar to what goes on in the Ajax system. In you know these men's uh, tactics going forward in, in the club level, um, to see him perform and doing well, I thought he played spot on. You know who else I liked? Claudio's son Gio. Gio Reyna really, really impressed me in this in his very first senior men's national team match what he did with the ball and not just with the ball put himself tactically in different positions in the midfield whether he was on the left or on the right or even in the middle I mean I don't know I guess that the middle is his natural position at Borussia Dortmund Kardec but Giovanni Reina to me looked absolutely stupendous I mean if I could take a hockey analogy he's all over the ice he can go anywhere, everywhere on the ice, put your team, put his teammates in a perfect position to either set them up for a, set them up for a chance or to put one in on him, to put one in himself. This is how uh, cerebral Giovanni Reina really is for the U.S. men's national team, and not just him, but for Borussia Dortmund. I mean, Eric Irving, er, Erling Holland has been raving about him, calls him captain, uh, you know, the American dream. I mean, yeah. when you hear that, when you hear it from a guy who has been dominating uh, the Bundesliga the way he is and the way he has probably helped the Norwegian national team to go and, and, and dominate uh, during the UEFA Nations League qualifying, I mean, this guy, if he is enjoying having Giovanni Reina as a teammate who's been serving him so many balls... Could you imagine what we have with a, with a striker up top that can like a number nine or a number eleven that would take a ball from him or he can take it himself and bury it in the back of the net? I mean, this kid. Thank God he's Claudio's son for once, but <laughs> excuse me, he's been fantastic in this match. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, uh, when it comes to a lot of these players, I, I'm relying on secondhand reports where I see them occasionally play. I mean, I see most of them play in Europe occasionally. Uh, I watch every Borussia Dortmund match. I watch 90 minutes of every Borussia Dortmund match. Uh, so I've watched Giovanni Reina uh, every minute he's played since uh, since the restart. Actually, he hadn't played for the first team before the restart, so um, the COVID restart. So I've watched every minute he's played as a, as a uh, first-team professional. And um, he, he, he is – in my opinion, well ahead of where Christian Pulisic was at the same point on the same club. Pulisic was a better dribbler, you know, running at people, and a better finisher. 
uh, and remains the best finisher in the U.S. pool, remains probably the best dribbler running at people in the U.S. pool. But Gio Reyna, like Tyler Adams, because I think Tyler Adams, in terms of football smarts, is well ahead of Pulisic today and was well ahead of Pulisic a few years ago. Um, Gio Reyna reads the game so comfortably. He reads the game so well. His positioning sense is good. The runs he makes are always very logical. Now, the one thing um, that I will say is that Dortmund play in a 4-2, sorry, a 4-3-2-1. And generally what you have is Erwin Haaland, who is the all-everything, you know, uh, uh, number nine, as you mentioned, one of the best number nines in the world, sitting up top. Uh, Behind Haaland, you have a double kind of playmaker of of Reyna and Marco Royce, the great Marco Royce. So oftentimes you'll see Gio kind of drift wide to create some space. Uh, but then make these great, these, these, these really good diagonal runs and play these, um, go wide, make the, play these beautiful balls for Holland or for Royce. And we saw it actually in the Der Klassiker on Saturday against uh, Bayern Munich, a match that Dortmund, I thought, were the better team, but as usual, find a way to lose to, to Bayern, right? So um, in terms of um, oh, yeah. where, where Giorena is as a player, I think he's um, – on, on a trajectory to be potentially, um, and I know this is, this is a heavy, heavy term, uh, and, I, and I've been cautious in the past, but he's on a trajectory to be the best attacking player the U.S. has ever produced. And by attacking player, I don't mean a guy who scores goals, because obviously that would be Eric Winaldo or uh, Clint Dempsey or Josie Alstor, right? Uh, or Rolando Donovan. But I'm talking about a guy who can create, who understands um, – what's around him, who makes the right runs, who finds space. That's another thing about Reyna. He finds a lot of space um, in uh, the, the, the attack for Dortmund, pockets of space so that he can, he can receive the ball, turn, make a pass. Now, of course, it helps when you have Holland up top. I'm not implying that anyone on the U.S. squad is, is an Erling Holland, right? There's, there's no one of that caliber in our, in our player pool. But I think he's understood and improved so much from playing with Holland as the nine, playing right behind him, that whoever the U.S. settles on at that number nine, whether it's Zardes or one of the guys we saw today, uh, or Jordan Morris, I don't know who it will be, but if it, you know, whoever it is, um, I think that Reyna will make that player better. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really high on Gio Reyna, and yes, Daniel, great game from him today. Yeah, and this is what – and I have to admit this, Kardec. I want to see whoever's going to be up top – in front of Reyna, I would love to see both Reyna and Pulisic, Pulisic uh, in the midfield. I mean, you have and, and that's the set, two and by the way, that's solid the midfield, attacking midfielders. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. That's the setup. That, so that's not the way that Gio Reyna has ever uh, – sorry, that uh, uh, Christian Pulisic has ever played. He's always been in teams that play, including when he was at Dortmund, played in a 4-3-3 um, and now with Chelsea in a 4-3-3, so he's pushed, he's pushed wide, which is probably where he's, he's most effective. But Gio Reyna plays in that system now. In fact, Dortmund has tweaked their system since they signed for Haaland. Remember, Haaland signed after Pulisic moved to Chelsea. So um, because they got Haaland, they changed their system to this 4-3-2-1, which I think you're right, would probably serve the talents of Pulisic and Reyna best to play together in that system, and that's the system Reyna plays in at Dortmund. However, Greg Berhalter, he's going to play the way Ajax plays. I think we know this. He's going to play the way the Netherlands play. He's going to play the way PSV plays. So um, 
that's the 4-3-3. And I guess if you play the 4-2-3-1, that limits some of what you get out of uh, um, you get out of uh, out of Serginio Dets going forward, and, and the other guys we talked about, Weston McKinney and, and 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 Tyler Adams. It changes their role a little bit. Although it is something I'd like to see Burhalter try. I'm just not sure he will because he is very wed to this idea of playing in a 4-3-3 and playing, um, playing in, in, in a style that he's, he's comfortable with. I think the, the combination of Ernie Stewart and, um, and Greg Berhalter running the men's pro- program and now Brian McBride coming in, but really Ernie Stewart and, and, uh, and Greg Berhalter, it's a very strong Dutch imprint. And, Burhalter has been brought in. We know. I don't want to get into an argument again about you know, they should have hired this one or that one. I mean, I, I'm on record saying they should have hired Jesse Marsh. I know you've said the same thing, or Juan Carlos Osorio, or any number of names. Tata Martino. No, but, yeah, exactly. Um, no, we can't do that anymore. But Burhalter, Burhalter was brought in specifically to play a certain style. So I, I think my, my I, I, I like your thought there, and I think – Actually, Giorino would probably be more comfortable in that system, but I just think that he's not going to play that way. He's going to play the style that he was brought in to play, uh, which is a 4-3-3, and it's probably partly because they were going to play that way. And, and it's not just a 4-3-3, but it's the playing principles within that style. That's Serginio Dest. And it, I agree, Cardick. I mean, that's... Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I just let me finish. Serginio Dest very surprisingly committed to play for the United States when the assumption was he would play for the Netherlands. So I think... Burhalter almost sold that on, hey, this is going to be your role. And we saw that today. We saw how influential he was in that system. So I think the team is being built, uh, I don't want to say around death, but um, built in a certain way that was sold to death, and they're going to keep playing that way. Oh, yeah, I agree with you there. I, I mean, you know, like I said, we're, we're not going to – you know, bring back. You know, he shouldn't have been here. You know, the 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 uh, that the head coaching search was was very flawed. That's already been said and done with. Now it's time for Greg Berhalter to move forward. We have to move forward with Greg Berhalter as well. We have to give him the support to be the head coach for this men's national team. That is what it is. This is what it has to happen. We got to be behind him now. We have to be behind him because. We've got tons and tons of tournaments to get involved with right now. Like I've already said, the Nations League semifinals. Also, the, uh, the CONCACAF Gold Cup, that's coming in July. And then, of course, World Cup qualifying for the final round starts uh, now in September of 2021. So there's going to be at least, I would say, you would definitely have to say six, six matches in the uh, in the Gold Cup, you possibility of two matches in the Nations League uh, semifinals and final if they do get to it, and of course the first six matches in World Cup qualifying. So it's just unbelievable about what we're seeing with these kids now, and it looks like they're ready to go. You know who else I was really impressed with, um, and I, I have to say that he really showed me. That U.S. men's national team, uh, you, Greg Berhalter, Cindy Parlo Cohn, they must make sure that Musa is officially a U.S. men's national team player. They have to put um, him into an official match. They have to because I like what I've seen from the kid. 
I don't. I mean, I haven't seen him in Valencia just yet. Even though I have to talk to my American uh, colleague who uh, is a part of the Valencia network, um, this kid showed a lot of poise and a lot of calmness. I never thought I would see it in a young kid like that. Yeah, I, I think everybody knows what he is, right, and how good he is. Uh, Daniel, I hesitate. In, in, mm-hmm. in, I'm very glad that he accepted the call up to the U.S. for these friendlies. Uh, however, uh, Musa uh, he has been part of the England setup for uh, years, really, at the youth level. Uh, he's a, a, a rated player by Gareth Southgate and the England team. And unfortunately, we just have to deal with the reality. Although we won one with deaths, right? And I think Berhalter was able to convince him based on the way we were playing, uh, make him comfortable uh, to take him away from the Netherlands. But we have to be realistic about the fact that um, this is a guy that uh, he's also eligible to play for Italy, by the way, but I, I don't think Italy is, it's between the U S and England. And we just have to be realistic about the fact that if a guy is going to play for England, um, has the opportunity to play for England, they're probably going to take that opportunity. So I, yeah, he was brilliant today. He was arguably the best player on the pitch. Um, I put it between him and guest. Um, but I, uh, or actually, you know, Reyna also up there. But I, uh, I hesitate to get too excited about him as a U.S. player because I think um, Southgate may give him a call uh, in terms of uh, uh, their next set of friendlies um, or Nations League. And uh, probably more likely what will happen is that we'll get to the Gold Cup in next year and Borhalter will want to call him up. And he'll decline to call up and go play for England's U21 team in the Euro U21. Now, that does not bind him to England yet. But then I think when we get into World Cup qualifying and they're in World Cup qualifying, um, that's when the decision will have to be made. Now, this having been said, I think there are a lot more players uh, of, of high level playing his, his position or the two positions he can play in the England setup. So based on that, and if he wants to play in this next World Cup in 2022, uh, maybe he'll choose us. Uh, but I don't want to get too excited, I, and I don't want U.S. fans to get really angry when, if and when he chooses England. I mean, you know, he's a young man, and, and England is one of the biggest national teams, one of the biggest shop windows you can be in. But uh, we have a shot. We have a shot again. I'm not saying we don't. Like I said, maybe if he wants to play in this next World Cup, uh, he has a better shot of playing with us than he does with England. But um, there is uh, a real possibility he would say no to us if Gareth Southgate calls him up. So um, it's a competition, but we got death. So uh, Burhalter is already one for one with high-level players uh, that, 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 uh, uh, that could have played for the U.S., as this would be two, uh, two for two if he could get Musa because he, he's a player everybody's aware of, right? It's not just Valencia fans. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows how high level this guy is uh, already in the first team at 17. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited about him, and he looked really good today. And, and I did know that he was also, you know, able to play for England <clears throat> for the national team. I know he's, you know, available for that because he has been playing, living in England for the, all of his life and everything. And I understood that, Cardick. But I really, like I said, if they really want to get him – to really be a part of this men's national team for the future. And I'm being honest when I say this. I, I think he's got to be capped for that, you know, uh, Nations League game or maybe in the Gold Cup because those are official matches Gold Cup considered by FIFA yeah, now. Gold Cup. 
Gold Cup, yeah, Gold Cup right. in the Nations League. The the yeah, Gold Cup. I mean, yeah, I mean, to me, that is the moment where you got to tell the kid you're a part of. We want you to be a part of our program. We want you to be a part of us. We we want we are recruiting you. We know that England would probably want you, but we're here to tell you we need you and we want you. Because right. that's all right. I'm saying, Carter. I feel like Big Musa would yeah, really yeah, fit yeah. well. England, England has Jaden Sancho. They have Marcus Rashford. They have Raheem Sterling. They have uh, guys who can play as like tens, like uh, like Jack Grealish, uh, who can also play wide. They have Ross Barkley, right? They don't. They, they, he's not going to play right away from them. I just rattled off a bunch of names. I'm sure there's three or four names I didn't rattle off. If I thought about it long enough, I could come up with a, a few more guys. Uh, that 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 Harry Kane. That would. Yeah, yeah. Well, right. Well, actually, if you play Dominic Calvert Lewin at the nine, which is now seems to be what's happening with England, then you drop Kane back into into the number ten, right? And and then that's another guy yeah. that you would have to beat out. So with the U.S., he yeah. walked right into the team, as we saw. So this is something that yeah, he has to consider. He would play right away with us. He wouldn't with them. But yeah. you know, again. I don't want people to get too disappointed or let down if he chooses England. Because I can understand it. It's understandable. And I agree. It's a bigger name, it's a bigger, bigger team, but it would be great if he played for us. Exactly. No, I understand completely. Um, the one good thing about this match, and not that I've been against um, Stefan um, in goal for the U.S., but at least I think finally we've seen Stefan growing, growing up a little bit more. Uh, you know, in the past... I didn't like his uh, his adventures away from the away from the net. Um, sometimes he just was putting himself out of position, putting himself into no man's land. Now, obviously, he didn't have much to do, but he made two to three solid saves that I like. He was closer to his net. He stayed close to his line. He didn't have to venture away because when you do that, when you do that. You know, you, you 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 question yourself, and you make everyone else question: Are you really the future starting goalkeeper for the U.S. Men's National Team? Because you keep venturing away from your goal line. I think he's finally grown up. I think he's finally done something good here. Now we're going to have to wait and see if he's going to start against Panama Monday Monday afternoon when they're going to be over in Austria for that friendly in a neutral site. But still, though, to me, what I saw was Zach Steffen finally growing up and finally acting like a real starting goalkeeper should. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Ethan Horvath should get that match so we can um, we can compare the two. I mean, Horvath is having a, a really good time of this uh, at the club level. Um, Steffen, I have um, I've seen him play in a couple of cup matches now for Manchester City, and... and, and uh, I I, uh, I think he has this issue where he comes off his line sometimes a little rashly. Um, but, look, I, he's now training at City. He's getting top instruction. I think uh, that will change. He's still relatively young for a goalkeeper. Um, but we have, we have a, a good competition between those two guys. I think um, those are our top two keepers. Now, in terms of uh, Stephanie's distribution, and I think this is important, I think – the reason why both Burhalter and Pop Guardiola like Zach Stefan is because of the way he can play with the ball at his feet, which is something that keepers are being required to do more and more in the modern game. It's something they're being required to do uh, extremely often in the system 
that Pep Guardiola plays, which, by the way, is very similar to the system Greg Berhalter plays, which is why I think Stefan got signed by Manchester City anyway, because remember, he was playing for Columbus, coached by Greg Berhalter, playing a similar style. So um, Pep's system comes from Cruyff. You know, it's the same thing. It's the Dutch, Dutch-influenced system. And um, so I think Stefan – so how do I say this, uh, Daniel? He's, I don't think he, – for me, he's not my ideal goalkeeper, right? Especially when you think about the history mm-hmm. of the men's national team. We talk about Keller and Friedel and Viola and, and Timmy Howard uh, and most recently Brad Guzan, these really high-level keepers, even the Jurgen Summers and Marcus Hahnemann I might rate higher than Stefan in terms of their, their shot-stopping, et cetera. But in the style system that is being played by Burhalter – which is a very rigid system, as we talked about. He's been brought in for stylistic reasons, not for necessarily other reasons. And then, uh, obviously, when we talk about um, Pep Guardiola at Manchester City, uh, I mean, I'm a City fan, as everyone knows. I'm getting uh, annoyed with the ideology, right, the rigidness of style um, at, at the club under Guardiola. But this is, this is it. Stefan fits the ideal cookie-cutter, if you would say, or the mold – of a goalkeeper that both Berhalter and Guardiola would want in their team because of how good he is with his feet. So that is why, and you saw, you know, him make a kick save right today. And, and he did some, mm-hmm. some other, some other things with his feet. His distribution is very good. Uh, and he's quite good yep. with his distribution. I know we, um, we, we still remember Tim Howard's great distribution against Algeria. However, you know, as uh, a whole, consistently, I think Stefan's distribution is better than Howard's or Guzan's or going back to Keller and Friedel, um, better than their distribution was. So that's why he's playing in, the, in this national team. That's why he got signed by Manchester City. So we have to remember that. When we compare, like, shot stoppers and what you and I and most U.S. fans traditionally look at as the qualities of goalkeeper, we probably would rate Horvath higher. And we, we might still rate Guzan higher, quite frankly. But um, that's not what um, Burhalter is looking for. He, he's looking for a guy that can that can restart play, that can distribute, that can link up with uh, with John Brooks as his, as his kind of his leader on, on the back line, play balls to Tyler Adams, like Adams, then spring the ball wide. I think it's really instructive, uh, Daniel, to go back and watch Columbus, um, film of Columbus when Burhalter was the manager, and see the role mm-hmm. that. The goalkeeper Zach Steffen played. See the role that uh, Jonathan Mensah played, the center back, and see yep. the role that Will Trapp, mm-hmm. who was the number six, played. Okay, and obviously Mensah plays for Ghana. Trapp, I think, is out of this national team. But the but the the similar players. So it would be Steffen still with the U.S. John Brooks and Tyler Adams. Look at the roles that th- th- those positional players play with Columbus, and then you'll understand what it is Burhalter is trying to build with the U.S and why um, certain guys are going to play. And, and, you know, the closing of this, I would say, is that Bruce Arena will still insist, because he has, that um, had John Brooks not been injured, um, he would have qualified in, in 2018. And he may still be in the job. So um, you can't forget what a player Brooks is. I mean, you know, Arena said it right after you know, when he made his first appearance a month later after the disgrace down in Trinidad, it's like basically, you know, you guys are slaughtering me for this. But I, I, I you know, I, I put Omar Gonzalez in. I put Tim Riemann because I, I, I had a guy I built around, and he got hurt. 
So um, let's not forget that, you know, when we criticize Bruce Arena, that if, if Brooks had not gotten hurt, I, I, I actually agree with Arena on this. You can criticize Arena about a lot of other things, but I, I agree with Arena on this. Had Brooks not gotten hurt, the U.S. would have gotten a point. Either uh, would have gotten, you know, either would have won in Honduras or, or gotten a point against Costa Rica at the match where you were at at Red Bull, or, or would have won in Trinidad, right? So, drawn or won, mm-hmm. so they would have gotten more points somewhere, probably more than that, honestly. So, um, we have to remember that the U.S. is a lot better when Brooks plays. There's no two ways about it. He's probably the most important guy on the team. So, um, yeah, today was really good, but we also had John Brooks. Yeah, exactly. And the one kid I want to talk about who's from, you know, near your neck of the woods, and he's a teenager, plays with Sergino Dess in Barcelona, Conrad De La Fuente. I was hoping he put that ball in the back of the net in the first half. Sadly, he skied it over the crossbar. But uh, that kid just on fire. I mean, to be playing with players like, you know, Dest on the back line. I know he's more up top more in the midfield, but still, though, to have him there with Dest, Koyman as his manager, and the incredible Lionel Messi. Uh, this kid has probably grown up quicker uh, over in Barcelona, and, you know, he is one of those players, not just Dest coming to Barcelona, play in Barcelona, but to play uh, in a league where I rate it higher maybe a couple of notches higher than the Bundesliga in Germany. Um, and the yeah. pace and the attack and, and the feeling of, you know, gangbusters and going after it and everything else like that. You know, to me, to see a kid like Conrad uh, De La Fuente growing up in the Barcelona system from Miami is just unbelievable. And to see him performing on the national team, should have had a goal. I understand. Uh, he skied it, but still, though, Forget about the goals or the, or the lack of goals in this one. What you wanted to see, Kardec, was continuity. What you wanted to see was a, you know, a quiet confidence. Even though it was a little shaky and a little nervy for our kids out there against a decent or a good team like Wales, De La Fuente proved to me that all, these years at Barcelona have been fantastic. impressed by the kid. Look, a uh, couple things. I, um, you know, I, I, I admit I'm kind of biased because I watch more Bundesliga than I do La Liga, but I think the Bundesliga is the best league in the world and the best development league in the world. And I had, I had questioned, look, uh, guys who were great used to come through Barcelona system, but did, did they still, do they still do that? And uh, also was concerned about the fact that we have had a number of guys, maybe before a lot of, uh, a lot of listeners remember a lot of guys who were um, men's national team players that came through top clubs in England, uh, the Francimix, the Zach Whitbreds, um, the John Thorntons, who just didn't, Jovan Karofsky, Jovan kind of panned out, but not totally. The other three I mentioned didn't, and there were a couple other guys that will come to mind, I'm sure if I thought about it more, that came through the Liverpools and the Arsenals and, and, and the, uh, uh, we've even had Kyle Scott recently come through Chelsea, right? And, and He's just not mm-hmm. even, uh, uh, you know, presentable as a national team player potentially. So I thought, you know what, Conrad might end up being the same thing. Well, now we see him on the big stage. He's made Barcelona's bench a few times now, um, both in La Liga and in the Champions League. 
made, made the team a few times. And then now we see him on the full national team stage. He looked lively. His runs were smart. Um, but here's another thing. I'm going to mention this again. Uh, like I mentioned, death. Guys who, who play in the Ajax system or the Barcelona system or the guys we've had that have come through PSV, uh, Sebastian Soto, come through Telstar, uh, and, and uh, obviously um, uh, uh, in the team today uh, on the bench, uh, those guys are going to have an advantage playing for Burhalter because Burhalter, unlike previous U.S. coaches, and this is something we have to keep reminding the listeners of, previous U.S. coaches would effectively have um, uh, a, a set of players – they pick the 23 guys they like, and they set up the tactics to match those 23 guys. So we saw under Bruce, when we saw Steve Sampson go from a 4-4-2 to a 3-6-1, uh, he wanted a formation that would get both Claudio Reyna and, uh, and Cabaret Ramos on the ball. We saw this with uh, even Bora before that, you know, changing the system a lot. Uh, Bruce Arena played a, a 4-4-2, then went to a 3-5-2. We played a few games in a 3-5-2, played a few games in a um, – back in like a 4-2-3-1. Uh, Arena eventually switches to a 4-5-1. Uh, this is Arena first since. Um, Bob Bradley liked to play in a 4-4-2 with a bucket because that was a way to give Michael Bradley some additional protection and allow um, uh, he and Donovan to run off the ball, make runs, come, come inside, and then you would have a striker that could play off of Josie Altador, right? Because Altador was big and strong, and you could have a quick guy. It was supposed to be Charlie Davies, right? And then we know what happened there. So then it ended up being the Hercules Gomez or Edson Buttle or whoever, uh, Jeff Cunningham, whoever it ended up being. Um, but he, 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 that was not Bradley's default formation. If you watched him at Chicago or with the, uh, now with LAFC, that, that was just a formation he used to adjust to the personnel he had. Same thing with Clinton. Clinton was all over the map all over the shop with formations, right? Yeah. Greg Berhalter has a specific style of play. He has a specific formation he wants to play. He has a specific way he wants the guys to play. So, again, De La Fuente, Conrad De La Fuente and Serginio Death have an advantage over the other players in the pool because they played in that system in Death's case since he was a kid, in, in Conrad's case now for a few years. So... Um, I think those guys are going to be regulars. Like I said, I, I'm convinced Burhalter told Death, hey, you know, you're choosing between us and the Netherlands. You're going to start for us, and we're going to play this way, and this is the way you like to play. And you saw today, again, I would say John Brooks is the most important player in the U.S. setup, but I would also say Death is probably the most influential player if you see the way the, games, the game progresses. And that's very deliberate, right? He's a guy who understands what Greg Berhalter wants from him more than the other guys in that, in that dressing room. And then I would say Conrad is like high on that list, even though he's a kid. He understands what Berhalter wants from him because what Berhalter wants from him is the same exact thing Ronald Koeman wants from him. It's the same system, the same formation, the same passing principles, the same passages of play, the same shape. So that's, uh, that's really important to understand. The other guys, uh, that we love, like McKinney, Adams, Pulisic, et cetera, they have to learn the Burhalter way. Um, Death and Conrad have been raised in the Burhalter way. That's what I'm trying to say. That's how, that's how I would explain it. Nope, that's fine. So I know you got to get going soon, but I wanted to ask you this. I know Alexi Laos was asked by Rob Stone on the Fox Sports 1 broadcast. Uh, up to 10, what do you give the U.S. men's national team for this game? And 
he said a six, which I do agree with. But what would be your opinion from one through ten about this match for the national team right now? What would you give a, a grade for that, a rating? It's a six or a seven. Yeah, I thought Wallace was pretty good in how he explained that. Um, and then Stone asked him, hey, how many times have they gotten it? When was the last time they got a 10? And he's like, oh, it's been a long time. So I would say like a six or a seven. I think the positives were, again, yes, uh, De La Fuente, Musa, if he, stick, you know, he may or may not stick with us. Jill Reyna I thought was really good. John Brooks was really good. I think the negatives I mentioned were Miazga, who um, I would like to see, even though um, even though Chris Richards has been playing, Richards has been playing as a right back recently for Bayern in, in the matches I've watched Bayern, including the Super Cup against Borussia Dortmund. Another game where Dortmund should have beaten Bayern and didn't a couple of weeks ago. Um, he is a center back. He came up as a center back through the youth system uh, uh, in Alabama that he came through before he went to FC Dallas. So I, um, I'd like to see him play center back next to Brooks. Right? I, I've just about had it with Miazga. I mean, I... I know you might be somewhat partial to him as a former Red Bull, but I, I, I've, I've seen enough of him for now. He's good to have in reserve. Um, if you, and I think as long as Timmy Ream continues to play, I keep Timmy Ream um, in the bench, in the team, because I think he brings an experience and he brings an ability to play with his feet that um, can complement Brooks. So I actually would put Miazga below Richards, and I would probably put him below Ream. I know people get really angry about that because there are so many people who don't appreciate Tim Ream's game and, and just want him out of the national team. But I think he gives uh, – I, I think Tim Ream's still a very valuable player, in my opinion. So that, those would be my takeaways from today. And I think the other, uh, the other uh, big takeaway has got to be really how, uh, um, how good for me – and I, I forgot to mention him to this point – Lioness looked after coming on. And guys can have checkered club careers – and still be really good national team players. And there are guys who can have great club careers and not be good national team players. I know Lioness has not gotten enough first-team games at the professional level and has been loaned out by Wolfsburg a few times. But the two times he's played for the national team now, he's looked really good. And I know today it was only 20 minutes. But he looked, when he came on, um, he came on with a, within a stamp of authority in central midfield that the other guys that were out there didn't have. So, uh, let me let me before I go mention him too. I, I thought he was very good. Before you go, let me just answer you really quickly about this. Um, I am down on Miazga. I did not like what he did. I didn't like what I saw. So all I can tell you is that uh, I'm in agreement with you right now. Red Bull, be damned. Um, I think Miazga has fallen down. I, I I just don't see him anymore as a national team player. I know he's still young I, I enough, he's but he's made too. some boneheaded yeah. moves, especially in this one. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he's immature. I mean, we saw that even two years ago against Mexico. We've seen in some of the games he's played since. Oh, yeah. He has a, a, a temperament that I, I, I'm worried about that rubbing off on the younger players, which is why if you're going to play an older guy, just play Timmy Ream. He's a consummate professional. I think Ream is still pretty good. I know he had a really tough outing a couple of weeks ago with Fulham, got made fun of, and got benched. Um, he's maybe not at the Premier League level anymore, Reed, but he's still at the championship level. He was still a really good player for them to get promoted. Um, and I think he's still very valuable as an influence on younger players. And I don't think Miazga is a good influence on younger players. Now, again, I'm not in the camp. I'm not in the dressing room. But if I have to pick between those two guys, I know Reem is eight years older than Miazga, but I pick Reem. That's my, that's my opinion. No, and I agree with you. And you know what, though? Like I said already, 
You know, I'm looking at Matt Miazga not just as a former Red Bull player. I'm looking at him as a national team player. I'm looking for him to see what he can do as a, in a positive and what I'm going to criticize him for on the negative. And unfortunately for Miazga, who I like a lot, you know, uh, I you read the article I wrote for you at World Soccer Talk along with uh, uh, yep. the gaffer about uh, Miazga making the move originally from the Red Bulls to Chelsea. Um, I'm soured on him. I'm down on him. I'm very upset with him right now because that yellow card he got, he could have avoided that if only he did not slow down and get the ball picked off from his foot because he got there and he just was a half a step slower to the ball than the Welsh uh, attacker. So, you know, that's just part of it. I know you got to get going, Cardick. I'll talk to you uh, next time. Have a good night. Great. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Carter Krishnar from World Soccer Talk joining me uh, tonight for this uh, post-match show. Because the United States draws uh, level with Wales. Uh, we still have some time, so I want to give everyone, uh, once again, my opinion about Matt Miazga. As much as that, it, the talent is there <clears throat> with Matt Miazga, Matt Miazga is a talented player, without a doubt. He deserves to be on a club side in Europe, deserves to be on a club side, period. But unfortunately, unfortunately, the immaturity that he still has has not worked for him. And this is the issue that he still has playing, whether – I don't know what he's doing on his club teams. I know he's now with Anderlecht in Belgium with uh, Kamar Lawrence and uh, Michael Murillo uh, over there uh, for Belgium. But the truth is, is that – Miazga's immaturity continues to show, and that's the one detriment that he has right now, is the immaturity to not understand that you cannot just slow down and you think no one's going to get the ball away from you. Well, it happened. And then he has to go into a sprint on a run back to defend, and then he put himself in a position where he had to grab the jersey, bring the Welsh attacker down, and he gets a yellow card for it. So all I can say is from Matt Miazga, I've had enough of him I've had enough of him on the national team. I've had enough of him on the national team. And regardless of him coming out of the Red Bulls Academy, regardless of him of playing for the New York Red Bulls, regardless of him of scoring some pretty good goals, you know, for this Red Bulls side when he's had the opportunity. The truth is, is this, is that Matt Miazga right now has to improve and get rid of the immaturity that still basically haunts him still. He has to grow up. What I didn't like from Zach Steffen, he worked on it, he matured, he got better, and he didn't do that anymore. Now, hopefully in the, next, in the future, he'll, he won't do that ever again, putting himself into no man's land for no reason. Once again, Matt Miazga putting himself into no man's land, or at least putting himself into a position where he should have corralled that ball, allowed the inside by the Welsh attacker to pick up the ball and go forward and attack. That is what he did. He shouldn't, and then he pulled him down when he put himself into that position. Look, there's going to be turnovers with these young national team players. I understand that. That's not the problem. Matt Miazga is no longer a young player. Matt Miazga should be at the age where he should know this by now. You're attacking to get the ball. Then you go from a run to a sprint. And then you slow down to you think you're just going to collect the ball and then just push it back 
and go forward. And what happened? He got caught. If you want to say it's ball watching, fine. You want to say it's you know lollygagging, fine. But Matt Miazga right now is a negative for me on this men's national team at the moment. Should never have done that. You know, the turnovers, those are easily corrected during the game. <clears throat> the turnovers is not that difficult to talk about because you can correct those mistakes during the run of play. What you cannot correct is stupid. Stupid did that with the ball when he should have just ran all the way to the ball, retrieved it, turn around, and then find a way. Or if he got there and the attacker is on your back, and you've got to be aware of who is coming at you. You have to have that sense to say, hey, listen, I've got to get to this ball quickly. I've got to protect this ball. I've got to protect the ball. I've got to shield the ball away from someone who might be coming behind me. And then I can try and quickly turn around and move forward and you know, restart an attack. But that's not what happened on that particular play. Matt Miazga, in my opinion, should no longer be on the men's national team unless he finds a way to correct his mistake. Other than that, outside of that and the little here and there, you can definitely say the United States men's national team had at least 95% of the possession. You know, when you are basically dominating on the statistics and the only thing that didn't go well is total shots. Honestly, and it has to be said, the men's national team did a fantastic job, especially with the young kids coming up, getting their chances, looking strong, looking dominant, looking like they've controlled the attacks, uh, you know, setting up some of the uh, opportunities, you know, passing the ball around, looking like a well-oiled machine. I enjoyed watching this match. And do, uh, do I see the future of the national team in front of us? Yes, I do. Still need more games. Still need more games. They have to have more games under their belts to really become a true powerhouse once again. Until we get to that point, this is a good start. Not an excellent start. It is a good start. With this good start by the national team so far with all these players, I enjoyed what I saw. I enjoyed what I watched. I hope you guys did too. Because as of right now, as of right now, this is a positive. The negatives are correctable. But the truth is, this is a positive. This is an excellent start. This has been a solid opening match for these young players to attack and try to do some damage. Outside of that, outside of that, I liked what I saw. I liked what I saw, and I want more of the same. Panama is next. Obviously, there's going to be some questions. We'll see how they can translate it from this match against the Welsh, and then now over to the Panama uh, national team, which will be played in Austria. And so we'll have to wait and see what the situation will bring. But until then, until then, 
Go and enjoy yourself. Relax. Feel positive that this started off on the right foot. And then we'll worry about 2021 when we get there. Almost there. We have at least a month and a half, almost a month and a half, to get into 2021. And let's hope that Greg Berhalter will continue this good form moving forward. We'll have to wait and see. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this will do it for the show this evening. I want to thank Carter Krishnayer for joining me tonight. Uh, don't forget, there will be post-game uh, once again on Monday, this coming Monday, as the U.S. men's national team will take on Panama in a neutral site in Austria. That will be at the same time at 2.45 Eastern uh, on the uh, East Coast, 11.45 a.m. on the West Coast. And then, of course, that will be broadcasted on Fox Sports 1 with John Strong and uh, Stu Holden once again. Um, once again, it's a nil-nil draw between the United States and Wales. And the United States were the dominant side. No goals. No goals. That's fine. Continuity first. Now we need to see if the goals are going to come on Monday against Panama and then the next round of international friendly dates and competition dates next. For Carter Krishnayer of World Soccer Talk, this is Daniel Feuerstein from the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. Thank you for listening to me this evening. Enjoy your football. You have a good night. Be careful. Stay strong. Stay vigilant. Stay safe. Wear your masks. Take care. So long. Bye-bye for now. And as always, please enjoy your football. Good night, everybody.